What's up, everybody? Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. hours and 15 minutes of well warm-up at this point so yeah, yeah. Ready so to, we better be able to do this right ready to play the game all right cool so yogi the air force is hot on this idea of innovation uh, i think you and i are in agreement that at the top of the organization they know what they're trying to achieve and it's a noble goal but as that filters down to the bureaucracy uh, and gets picked up by the rest or infects the rest of the Air Force culture and the desire for promotion and who know who knows whatever else. The idea of innovation gets diluted into what you know guys at the lowest levels are experiencing. And so consequently, those guys at the squadron level and elsewhere are a bit nonplussed on the idea of innovation and ultimately in, in the end when like the most innovative ideas that make it to the highest levels tend to be silly little widgets and not like real grandiose ideas because grandiose ideas are hard widgets fucking easy so you know what we're gonna it's easy for a 3d printed switch cover for a B2 or something like that to make it through uh, the innovation widgets or sorry wickets yeah I remember reading a big article about innovation where they were talking about some guy who made like mounts for the iPads that C17 guys used to like mount the iPads and that was like a big deal right, right. Because that's a that's what you're talking about like something like yeah that. yeah and and the winner of the 2019 Air Force spark tank innovation like Super Bowl was a guy who said we should have solar panels so I don't have to change batteries all the time, like on some bullshit piece of equipment, right? So this is the type of thing that the Air Force like identifies as the most innovative things that exist. I think that's actually a tangential problem tied to Spark Tank itself and the Air Force's desire to be something of a venture capitalist, kind of like what's going on in Silicon Valley, but more importantly, trying to attack this from a higher level or a more zoomed out view of what like what is innovation itself and what is not innovation 
in that context. So I know you have a, a number of thoughts on this subject, so I'll uh, open the floor. Yeah, so I think uh, I think innovation is one of the most com one of the most deeply misunderstood misunderstood concepts, not that it's bad that we are after, but that we mm -hmm. don't have a very precise understanding and we're just throwing mm -hmm. banding around the term. So I think it's useful to think about what is innovation, like what is actually happening uh, phenomenologically or from the perspective of the people that are doing the innovation and like what's actually happening in real innovations. And then like why, why we are desiring or pushing for it in this abstract way and like what, what causes that. Um, so first, I think innovation is a concrete, it's a, it's a con, it's in response to a concrete problem. It's either a long-standing problem that has a new and better novel solution, mm -hmm. or it's, it's a new problem or a new venture that has any solution, right? Like, like, let's put a guy on the moon. Oh, fuck. How are we going to do that? Right? No, put him in a cannon and shoot him real hard. Does that work real well? Okay, that didn't work. All right, let's, yeah, yeah. let's innovate so another any, solution. So any solution in that case would be innovative, right? Right. Or, or, a, or if we have a old way of doing business, it's a new solution to an old problem or old way of doing things. Um, but, but more importantly, the people that are doing that are always doing it as... as in response to solving that specific problem. Um, there's always a concrete specific problem that needs something to happen to it, right? To, to, to solve it, to, to move past it. Okay, um, so identifying real impactful problems? Yes, but the, the thing is, is that the, these people do not wake up in the morning and go, these, the people that we call retroactively or retrospectively innovators, mm -hmm. right? We're not waking up in the morning going like, yeah, all right, today I'm going to be an innovator. And then like they go out and they go like, what am I going to innovate today? Right. And like, do, 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 do. And then they're just like solving stuff and like, oh, here I go innovating again. And then they, <laughs> then they have an innovation to some problem, right? Yeah. They are obsessed with a specific problem and trying to get over that mountain somehow, yeah. right? In that specific problem, that specific world that they're encapsulated in. Um, like the Wright brothers were solving the problem of trying to create fixed wing flight to move beyond hot air balloons. Right? Yeah, and that was like the only thing that they could like yeah. focus on um, yeah. other, other than making bicycles or... Yeah, so this this problem, this 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 was had presented itself and they decided that they were going to try to tackle it, right? And and they didn't think of themselves as innovators. They thought of themselves as dudes who were trying to solve this specific problem. Right. And that's and that's how innovation works. Innovation is not something that in reality exists outside of its concrete problem. There's no innovation that exists in an ether that we can just have innovation and dial it up. Now we the guy do. who invented the telegraph, yeah, he did so because he received news that his wife was sick. Yeah, via a letter, right? I mean, the post, and by the time he was able to make it back, she was dead. And he was like, "There, I we have to have a faster means of communication." And he became obsessed with finding a way to 
yeah. make that happen. And in, in the end, he created Morse code, which completely revolutionized everything and started the whole idea of digital uh, or electronic communication, etc. But it was all because he had this problem and this this spark of an idea that we need this thing. Yeah. My life would have been greatly improved. I would have been able to say goodbye to my wife. Yeah. If I had known faster that she was sick. Right. Yeah. So in that case, is it is it not Graham Bell? I don't know who that is. But the, Graham Bell created the uh, telephone. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm an idiot. All right. The uh, but not the telegraph. Yeah. That was Samuel Morse. I'm a uh, hence Morse code. That makes sense. I think that was all tied together. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I might be talking out of my ass. As I was. Might be two different people. Um, cool. But that's a great example, though, right? A specific problem, right, with a specific solution, with a person focused on that problem and trying to get over it. Um, the The reason that we we talk about innovation, that what innovation is not, innovation is not the word innovation. It's not the concept of innovation. Innovation does not exist outside of the specific problem which a specific solution is happening. We innovation, quote unquote, as we understand it, only exists retrospectively. Right? When we look back and we see the impact of that problem being solved and we go, that guy was an innovator. He changed the game, right? And that thing was innovative. Yeah. But during the process he was not innovating during Yeah. And didn't point. understand it as such. Or maybe he was right. excited about it or thought it could be, but from his perspective oh man i'm really innovating this morse code thing right now i gotta figure this out <laughs> no it's just about so that everybody remembers me as an innovator yeah. it's mostly about solving that problem right yeah. there might be on the tail end a little bit of ambition to be remembered right on right. some of this stuff um an excitement or awareness that this could potentially be like that but for the most part the predominant preoccupation is the specific problem plowing ahead the reason that we talk about innovation is that we categorize these things retrospectively. So Western civilization with the advent of the enlightenment and the scientific revolution and all the thing and the industrial revolution that came of that, right. And the ability to manipulate nature and science and think, you know, prioritize rationality and things like this um, more aggressively than other civilizations has had outsized influence on the world and in terms of its power reach and projection and all this other stuff right and in so many different ways and leaders and politicians who are not the actual innovators or builders of these things um, solving these specific problems look at history and they see a whole series of innovations that they've that they history declares to be innovations they can see a, a draw a line how all these things build and coalesce together in Western civilization. They just keep building on each other. Yeah, to create this critical mass of power and, and efficiency and breakthroughs and technology where retrospectively we've said, okay, this thing called innovation, when these guys doing this, it's done a lot of great shit for us. Right, we've got penicillin now. Right, we've got we got some fucking penicillin now. We can fly this fucking airplane, right? We can go we, to the moon. We can go to the moon, right? Like we can do all this other cool things. Um, and this has brought us to where we are, like largely straddling the world, right? And then um, and the competitors to us have to get in our game, right? Have to get onto the scientific enlightenment game. 
right? right? Like doing this, doing these things the way that the West originally pioneered. Um, so we, retrospectively, we say all of these things that happened, these are innovations. Innovations created this, and we need to keep this vector going in this direction. So we need to innovate. But that's misunderstanding that over time, that was just a series of specific things being solved by specific people in a discrete way that all compounded in a positive way on each other over the course of hundreds of years, right? So um, when a leader in the Air Force is saying, we need to have innovation, right? Um, they're trying in a good way to be a part of that vector but unfortunately, innovation doesn't quite work like that, right? It requires a, a problem to present itself, an authentic problem right. that needs a solution. So we're, we're, we're trying to stab at this and keep it, keep it and, and take part in, in this glorious chain of, of things. I'm not understanding that it's more, much more spontaneous and discreet and focused than, than just saying, hey, we're going to create innovation in a vacuum, right? We're going to ask for innovation in its abstract form rather than the way that it presents itself to the people when these innovations actually happen, which is not as innovation. It presents itself as solving, just solving a problem. Right, so how would the senior leaders who are best suited to communicate to the whole of the organization enable that to happen because they're the ones furthest removed from the problems right they've got 150 people below them through various staffs that are trying to solve various problems or, or, or present the rosiest possible picture sometimes to the the senior leadership right so a lot of that is masked they know that there are problems within the the organization whether well, i mean not like I don't want to say organizational problems, but that they're at the edges of the organization, the airmen on the line, out on the ramp, you know, launching that MQ-9 or whatever he's doing, he sees something that could be better. So how does he identify an, a problem, create a solution, and how does that solution become just the new way of doing business? When you're in this bureaucratic organization that like requires MAGCOM level approval to make changes to processes, uh, the purchasing of different or new equipment that might solve this problem in a different method, right? CQ Brown, all he can really do from the top is try to facilitate that and remove as many barriers as possible. Yeah. And it's and, and, I, and I firmly believe that that's all that they're trying to do at the top. The intent gets muddled, much like the telephone game, through every little layer of bureaucracy to where down at the bottom, yeah. you end up with silly shit like innovator of the quarter. Uh, and just like that is patently silly on its face, <laughs> right? Like we're, 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 we're trying to force 
innovation. Yeah. When that that is contrary to the fundamental nature of the idea of what it is to have innovative solutions for lack of a better word, I guess. Yeah. So there's a couple key things we got to get into here. Um, so I think, I think there's a difference between, there's a couple distinctions we have to make, right? So I think in innovation, which as we've said is an abstract retrospective term, right? Um, Right, looking back at something that happened and then we define it, we, we call it innovation, we, we acclaim it as innovation after the fact, right? They are big, they're big solutions, big, cha- big game-changing things that have happened, right? So it's not, innovation is not like incremental process improvement, it's not minor technological improvement, it is game-changing. Right, like the MQ, like the RPA itself is an innovation. Well, right? I mean, we, I think that's what we envision, right? When we say the word innovation, we envision these large things. Yes, but, but innovation is made up of you know much smaller, incremental things. Yeah, it can be. Right. Yeah, or, or it can be a C. Yeah, but um, it's not. It's not just like a, a, a minor process improvement, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? There's yeah. a different, right? Just because things Evolution are- Evolution versus a revolution. Yeah, all things, just because there's a change that's happening that might be positive doesn't mean it like rises to the level of innovation, right? That's not, it's not worthy of the word, right? It's a, it's a small improvement. Um, and this gets to like what you were talking about with like it gets filtered down. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that all these small process improvements which used to be happening um, as part of our organization yeah as people who care and are invested um we want to describe that as innovation because there's been this demand that's been created right um in the abstract right Right. we need to be innovators so get innovating right and then you get people who are waking up saying like oh i i need to go innovating again today so (laughs) and they walk around their squadron and be like i could just (laughs) I can just uh, uh, Crumbopulous Michael. Right? Yeah, and any Rick um, and Morty references, welcome on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, right, they're, they're just creating small changes, right? And those are good and positive, and we should absolutely do that. And That or they're implementing things that have been like common business practice in other environments for yeah. the last 20 years. Yes, but... Oh, you got commercial, but, commercial Wi-Fi? But that's, but that's not innovation. I agree. So, um, a, so really, what we're talking about there is like, how do we create a culture that is open to positive change, to include potentially innovations? I'm of the opinion that an innovation, like a true innovation, is so game changing that it is startling, scary, threatening. Right? Yeah. It changes our way of life. Yeah. It changes the way we do things um, to the point where the innovator, as we call him in the aftertimes, at, at the time, is, uh-huh. is, becomes very not popular by, by the people running the status quo. Right? In that and, moment, right? Yeah, in that moment. Yeah. So you're, um, are, are you thinking uh, Billy Mitchell, the yeah. fact that he like lost rank and then was uh, court-martialed like once or twice? and Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, or even like uh, John Boyd or John Warren. Yeah. Right? And like what happened to those guys? Um, it's funny. They were careers cut short like yep. and then then hallowed after the fact yeah right? we we adore um, these three individuals but they uh they were not very popular i know at the academy we wanted to the class of 2012 hap arnold wanted to <laughs> instead of hap we wanted to have uh we wanted to have boyd uh as our class exemplar okay and we were not allowed to because the board had enough people who found him distasteful really yeah we were and then i think subsequently wow i think uh, one of the subsequent classes was able like enough changed and like happened that they, interesting um but we were not allowed to have boyd um and then everybody i think most people know the story of warden right didn't make you know organize the whole go for o plan right yeah and came up with all this stuff right and was like directly working with the uh chief of staff right to come up yep. uh, uh down there in the checkmate was it, division was it short, yeah was it short yep. uh he might have just been the centcom commander okay but he you know he had he had the o plan that they pretty much went with right yep um but because he did it through checkmate and not through the through horner and the, yeah. the air force chief of staff and all this other stuff right and didn't go with their plans right and just went mm -hmm. around them um, of all the people that went from 06 to 07 that year, um, not him. They couldn't. They couldn't find a spot for John Warden. Yeah, the guy who literally brainchilded the uh, uh, the O plan for the, the supposedly the most successful war we've in, ever in fought. The, yeah, we've ever <laughs> fought. Um, um, but that guy cannot be a general, right? Yeah, fuck and that then, guy. And uh, then, yeah, we and you already talked about the Billy Mitchell stuff, right? And yeah. Um, so these innovations are startling and disruptive, right? Generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and they don't play nice with the bureaucracy, which is what we have to, which is what we are, right? At a certain point, right? They're an um, enormous bureaucracy. Yes. One of the largest. On top of that, these people are assholes, usually, right? That, that are willing to take on, that they have an idea. They have a sense of rightness to this idea that they're willing to buck the status quo and invite all of this stuff upon them because they've got enough of a chip on their shoulder and enough of a bug up their ass. Yeah. Right. That they're going to just, you know, oh, I'm, I am fucking right. And fuck all you. Right. Yeah. Like, and they're, and they're willing to throw away their career. Yeah. Uh, to piss, to piss off these people to make this thing happen. Right. They're like, they found their sword yeah. and they are ready to die on it. Yeah. So these people are not people that generally succeed well or do well in like the political environment that that the air force often is right yeah um and i think that's that's part of what innovation is is it's it's the the attitude as well as the idea of the people and we don't often understand that when we're dialing up innovator of the quarter yeah right we're not thinking about like that true innovation like this guy, if he's truly an innovator and he has an innovative idea and he has the personality to take it over the goal line, to use that phrase, mm -hmm. um, that that uh, well well trod phrase, um, they're not they're not liked at all. In fact, the Air, the Air Force or any other bureaucracy would hate people like that. Right. Um, at but, least at first blush. Right. And, yeah, they're and, they're upsetting the apple cart. And, yeah. And and 
right? You could say, well, they could present their ideas, but but then they wouldn't be who they were having this idea of setting the apple cart from the beginning, right? Correct. Um, so innovation is wrapped up in these big ideas with these big personalities that don't play nice with other people. Um, and then once their idea is inevitable and becomes the, the way that we think in the new status quo, then we celebrate them after the right. fact. But as in, the, in an emergent innovation, it's not viewed as an innovation, it's viewed as a nuisance. Yeah. Right? It's viewed as, as like a FU, right? Process improvements are not viewed as a, as a FU to the system, right? Um, so there, there's a distinction there. Um, and this gets into, there are, when we talk about Billy Mitchell, John Boyd, and John Warden, I don't even really think of those guys as like true technological innovators. Innovation no. has an... Innovation has another face, and that face is cultural innovation. Yeah. Right? Or like institutional or organizational innovation. Yeah, and they're, and they're the biggest ones because the, te- yeah. the technology continues to improve and change. And, you know, okay, great. You're the guy that saw, you know, this particular technological solution first, second, or third, and first one that carried over the line, but who cares? Like, we continue moving on. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the cultural things are kind of the larger innovations and that's why we celebrate guys like billy mitchell and because they, they they completely changed the culture of the organization and like the, the 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 core of the what the organization believes itself to be yes so this this brings us now to what is a culture of innovation and like if it even exists like is that even a real thing and then and and what constitutes it okay um what i think is when we're talking about a culture of innovation it's not there's there's no real magic to that i don't think it's a particularly complex idea i don't think it's crazy um what i think is that um it's a willingness to accept risk or change and potentially failure um, when these big ideas come around. Okay. Um, And to not snuff people that are pushing that as being people that are, you know, naysayers or, or sure. Um, And the reason that this all comes about, right, is that I, I think the Air Force has good, great intentions, but in championing, championing, championing incremental process improvements or technological improvements as innovation, we are closing ourselves down or missing the fact that the innovations that we really care about are these big ones and that we need to be focused on trying to improve our culture to be more accommodating of that. And, and that's the part that I think we're, we don't do and we're not as open to potentially um, as these three individuals that we talk about uh, aptly demonstrate. Right. Um, and so I think that's the danger, right? Like is, and that's why all this distinction about what is innovation and how small it is in like from the perspective of the person yeah, and how they think about it and then why, but that it, but that it actually has huge impact and is disruptive. I'm curious to know what the, The history around the laser-guided weapon. Yeah. Like when that started, 
in the you know early days of Vietnam, were those engineers considered to be innovating, or were they like the was the innovation a, a big thing at the time? I don't know. Was it something that they were seeking? Because that one thing, the implementation of laser-guided weapons and the ability for fighters to guide those weapons with precision completely changed the culture of the Air Force. Yeah. It went from the bomber world over to the fighter world. The rise of the fighter generals, right? See Lost Link podcast episode one. Yeah, where we probably missed the mark on exactly what book we're talking about. But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and then the the subsequent follow-up to Rise of the Fighter Generals is Tomorrow's Air Force. Those are the two books uh, all of you should read. Plowing Ahead. That's mine. Was that still... <laughs> you fuck. Was, was <laughs> taking my catchphrase? Was that... <laughs> was, was the laser-guided bomb considered the innovation that it was at the time? Or do we just revere that moment in history 30 years on because we have 30 years of experience of knowing what those changes or what changes were caused by that and how it completely changed the culture of the Air Force? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm talking out of my ass at this point, but well, think, it's this whole podcast. Yeah. So thinking rationally. I have I have delusions of grandeur, but the uh, the uh, so the the um, uh, or may, where I think maybe sometimes I'm not talking out of my ass, but uh, in reality you're right, and probably mostly it just am. Um, like Ace Ventura, everybody is talking out of their yeah, ass. like Ace Ventura, literally talking <laughs> out of his ass. Asshole, um, <laughs> Anyway, um, anyway. Plowing ahead, using my catchphrase right, you for can myself. Have it back. You can have it back. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad. Um, I think it's just engineers working on some shit. Yeah, they saw they saw a cool thing. They were like, "I'll bet you I could get that fucking bomb onto that bridge." Well, and if and if they had done it right, and then it turns out like it wasn't that impactful in the war for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. Um then it wouldn't have been an innovation, right? Correct. It's it's just retrospectively, right? That yeah. that we decided based on the impact that it had. I agree. Um were the guns on B seventeens and B twenty fours innovative? They honestly were not that effective. The Germans shut down a fuckload of bombers. But the B seventeen, the Flying Fortress, it's got all these guns on it. It's like no one's gonna be able to shoot it down. We're gonna get to all the targets because we're gonna be able to shoot down all the fighters. No. Meanwhile, the Nazis just changed their tactics and the pilots were like, Oh well that's not working. Alright, cool, I'm gonna just dive in from the top and dive right through the whole formation and just keep zoop, zipping back up to the top, diving down, zipping back up to the top, diving down. I'm going to shoot down one or two the whole time. Right. And so in the end, sticking a bunch of guns on these airplanes was not that innovative, which is why we don't do it anymore. Yeah. But we still have laser guided munitions because those actually had an exceptionally large impact. Yeah. And, and continue to. Right. Right, And continue to. That's, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But like strapping a laser guided munition to another aircraft is not innovative. Right? Not anymore. No. Not anymore. Right. Um, 
the the point yeah and and this brings us to another point is that the technological innovation tends to be more acceptable yeah right generally speaking especially if it has the results um that make it the innovation that we that we claim it to be uh retro retroactively um than a cultural innovation which is less acceptable up front right i think it's easier to recognize yeah a technological innovation than it is to recognize cultural innovation yeah i would agree with that all right so we're going to bring this around full circle back to this idea of uh a culture of innovation. So we've identified that institutional or organizational innovations are harder than technological, right? To to get through to get a, to get through the door. Yep. Um, and that the Air Force, right, by demanding innovation in the abstract, right, is potentially searching for problems with a demand for solutions um, that are mostly technological, that are potentially not that useful, but are just designed to, that ultimately have the effect of assuaging our desire to want to be a part of this innovation train. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of innovation that's happening that's gonna result in the tiniest bit of improvement at disproportionate cost yeah and that when we that when we're talking about the innovations that matter or i should say innovations because an innovation is a change that matters okay um we are talking about proper innovations that that this focus on small process improvements and technological improvements might might be closing us down to a blind spot where maybe we're not as open to radical change radical improvement mm -hmm. right that, that as we could be um and that's what i want to talk about when we talk about a culture of innovation is how, yeah, do, we, how do we open that up more um, i think to a certain extent the air force is never going to be apple we're never going to be google Right when we talk about flat organizations, there where like they can just like do whatever. They're they're extremely risk tolerant, right? They move fast and break things. They move. Yeah, Facebook's motto. Yeah, right. For a long time, if it's not still their model, um, their motto. Um, ironic. Yeah, it's funny. I don't. <laughs> it's funny to think of Facebook, but that's how they thought about it, right? Yeah. That they were they were just wrecking shop, right? On on the status quo. Yeah. Um, we're we're necessarily hierarchical. Um, we have to potentially, you know, order someone to die or take life when they don't want to, right? Yep. And that's that's going to create hierarchies, which is going to create bureaucracies. Yeah. That are less op less supple to all of that stuff, right? But I think that I think when we talk, when the Air Force has all this priority innovation, it's, it should really be about like trying to supple up as much as we can the air force to be open to some of that to some of that stuff right yeah and i, and I think to, that's to the extent that it's possible and i think that's exactly what the powers that be at the top of the organization the secretary of the air force and the chief of staff and 
those guys are all trying to make the Air Force as supple as possible to allow innovative, you know, retrospectively yeah. innovative ideas to propagate up the system to the point where somebody actually has the power and the money to implement that problem or implement a solution to that problem that was identified two or three steps down the chain, right? But that's not Spark Tank. That's not Innovator of the Quarter, right? Um, that what's really going to create that suppleness is um, risk tolerance. We have to be willing to accept mission like divergent experiments, yeah. Right? Where, where squadrons potentially two like different gen- squadrons. General Goldfine, the squadron is the the help me out fundamental building block of the United States Air Force. Thank you, Muff. Needed needed that one. I got it on a branch there. Um, the two squadrons, right, can can have one squadron can take it upon a, a different model or a different way of doing business or a different technological way yeah. of doing something. And even if that doesn't work, right, and even if it's a gross failure, potentially, potentially, that doesn't mean that the squadron commander is going to get fired right off the bat. Uh, or get like his career completely turned off. Um, if that is the case, where the squadron commander, that risk is not truly accepted because it's just the bottom line that always matters, um, we're not going to be able to get these big innovations that, that is inherent to the word innovation. That I think is what the, the change that matters, the change that changes the game. Yeah is what we really care about. We don't give a fuck about these small process improvements in reality. Yeah. Right? It's the change that matters, the the offset, right? Something that creates a on the technological side a a categorical advantage that our enemies can't deal with, right? Is so right or so, something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, we're what it, we famously have what two offsets? We're two searching for the third. Searching for the third offset. This was a big topic. At, offset, this is a big topic at Squadron Officer School right now. All right, so two. The first, the first two offsets. One was nukes. Yeah. Prior to that. Was no, it's just nukes, and then GPS. Oh, nukes and GPS. Yeah. <laughs> Which they, you know, the Russians had Glonass in no time, and. Uh, yeah, well. Oh, and they had nukes not too terribly long after us, so there's like these fleeting windows of supremacy. Yeah. Right? That we've never really been able to exploit. Yeah. And it, those are getting progressively shorter yeah. as we have all of our all of our stuff's on the internet. Yeah. And <laughs> and the Chinese are able to just like siphon off all of our good ideas two months after we have them. Right? And which is why the J-10 and, you know, Chinese airplanes all look strikingly similar to, yeah, to American airplanes, right? Because they all come from the same design, right? So, I'm sensing that your premise here is that the the value of offsets is not what people are making them out to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was going to get to that a, a little bit later, but the uh, we're here now, I guess. You're but, the one who mentioned offsets. Yeah, I did. Um, but in theory, right? Like we want we want these categorical advantages 
in that at least this was desired right yeah, yeah. right now we can talk about whether that desire actually makes sense but the um if we are not tolerating risk or more open to risk right and we're just going to fire generals for lack of confidence like right off the bat if they're not producing results yeah instantly like following that good old marshall bastardizing the good old marshall loss of confidence thing um just instantly on all the squadron commanders sure. you're never going to have this right um so i think talking about innovation it, like i think the goal to want innovation is generally good because it keeps us not complacent and more on the front foot at least pushing and thinking about trying to improve our yep. organizations and and potentially looking for this big change because we, we run the risk of being you know we're the global hegemon to a degree like yeah. you know as days pass and less and less so but we have less of a like motivation to be that innovator Right, because what we have now is working. Yeah. China, Russia, and any of our other uh, geopolitical foes have a lot of motivation. Yeah. To innovate, and so we're trying to, maybe we're trying to maintain that level of innovation with our, you know, that's commensurate with our opponents, yeah. so we can maintain our advantage. Yes, but when we recognizing that there's a potential for complacency for us, right? Which is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then going, oh, well, we just need them. We just need innovation, right? The the problem. I think it's coming from a good place, but I think the problem, this. When, we, when you put that signal down from the upper leadership, when it filters down to the squadrons, which is what you were talking about several, you know, earlier in the podcast, yeah, we create a super strong demand that for that becomes just a demand for incremental process improvements or incremental technological improvements, yeah, which is not really what we care about that much, right? That that stuff's going to happen anyway, or should happen anyway, and we're missing. The, the real solution to that, which is allowing people who take risks, even if they fail, right? Not maybe they don't get all the credit that they would get if they were successful with that risk, but that we are not, that they're not going to be ostracized or get their careers killed over taking a big risk, right? Yeah. Especially at a certain level. Um, and I think that's the part that I don't see, right? I don't see that openness or that willingness to take risks. Like we could look here at Holloman, right? Like anything that kills PFT, uh, uh, like the, the speed at which training happens yeah, yeah. or the rate at which training happens. Yeah. The programmed it, flying training. Yeah. You are, you are, you are done, dude. If you PFT is everything. Right. And so why would you take a risk on something that's going to affect PFT the, the, potentially negatively? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the, the problem with PFT is that that is the one metric, one metric that a DO of a squadron is measured against. Yeah. It's the one thing weekly, those numbers that come out. And if you're, you know, hitting all, you know, hitting everything just right, your PFT numbers are at best level. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, 
you will never get above that. And so, so say there was some way to do training. Some guy had a great idea to do training that like, you know, could potentially speed it up, but it might not. Right. Yeah. And if a DO took that on, right. Yeah. Is he going to get stratted last? And it is not successful. Right. Is he going to get stratted last or first? Right. Probably not great. Right. It's not going to help. His yeah. Shit, probably right? not great because he, you know, made a decision that didn't turn out well. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to identify and isolate those people yeah, that made those decisions and, you know, just stick with the people that stuck by the tried and true. Right. Yeah. Or did, or did not stretch to so, try and try something new. So if you only reward risk taking and change when that change yields positive results no one's going to take a risk the reason for that is if we look at evolution if we look at venture capitalism most changes most iterations die out or fail right yeah, yeah. um there's very few that actually result in a improved animal or a successful venture capitalist enterprise. Right. Most venture capitalists are betting on, you know, basically one out of 10 of yep. their investments are going to return 10 to a hundred fold, whatever their yeah. investment is. Right. So they know things are going to fail and they're accepting of that. Yep. So my point is the extent to which we can, ex we can process risk on the people that are on the hook for that is the extent to which we can actually have real innovation in the air force. And if we can't, then we, then we can't, but if we can, then we can, um, if we can make that more forgiving, right. I'm not saying someone should get fully rewarded for a complete failure. Right. But if we can make that less punishing potentially, and like have more, of a full assessment of like what that leader did. Yeah. Um, you know, taking this knowing risk and not like completely ruin their career. Of it yeah, or, and or, understanding or why they down. took that risk and what their process of thinking about it, because to a certain degree, what you're looking for in leadership and finding, you know, future leaders are people who can process a problem, consider all of the possible aspects of it and, you know, kind of come to a conclusion that this is most likely going to result in success. So I think we should do it. Or if it's a risky venture, they're doing it in a little small sub portion. They're doing it with one of their classes, right? So I might lose that class. They might lag behind because, you know, whatever training methodology that we decided to try out here did not work out that well, but I'm not going to lose all of them. You know what I mean? Uh, there's it's just probably worthwhile to have some negative repercussions for somebody who sacrifices all of the classes under his purview at once for this untested thing when he could have done it in a small incremental fashion you know what I mean and so like that organizational leadership thing is probably worth frying somebody over if they really get it wrong but in small portions and you know there's a diligence that they didn't do their due diligence, right? You can't just like jump right into some big innovative solution. Yeah. That might pay off, might not. Yeah. You can, you can at Google. Sure. Right. Or any of these startups, right? It's, 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 it's rougher here. So like we're going to be, 
necessarily like not as innovative as we would like to be especially if we're comparing ourselves to these silicon valley companies right <laughs> um, and and man we we totally kind of are yeah you want <laughs> the uh in 20 uh 19 early 2019 i went to the 432nd wing funded a tdy to silicon valley uh it's basically san jose and uh, cities in that immediate region, right? And on day one, we go to go to eBay. You know, this profit-motivated, you know, team of a couple thousand people, yeah, total, and learn about their innovation culture. And they talk about how innovation happens at the edges of the organization, and. You know, diversity is key and all this other fun stuff. And then we go to uh-huh. we go to Google, which actually has some Google does a, a decent job of hiring like former you know, military and there's like the one of the guys we talked to, most of the guys we talked to are former military, like colonels and lieutenant colonels who are now like leading teams and things like that. Maybe this is a, a, a path I go down in the future. Oh. Whoa. And uh <laughs> Their biggest, like the, the, the quintessential model of innovation uh, at, at Google is Gmail, which started as like a total internal tool. Yeah. Just for some engineers who saw a small problem and decided to create it. And then over the space of a like. S- a small specific problem. A, yeah, a very small specific problem. And over the space of like five to 10 years, like Google, Google Mail was in beta for damn near a decade. And then, in, I don't remember what year it was, but they eventually took it out of beta when it, they had, you know, 500 million people using it. You know what I mean? And uh, it changed Gmail, changed the nature of email across the internet. Yeah, I know like, I use it. Right. I use it. The Defense Innovation Unit, DIUX, for a while, and then they dropped the X when they just became DIU. Their email was just Google. It was Gmail. They didn't have Gmail addresses. You still emailed them at, you know, John Smith at diux.mil or whatever. But that went through Gmail. And like, you can put all these little layers on it and stuff. But, but Gmail was born of a couple engineers solving a very small specific problem at the edges of an organization. It just kind of slowly grew into the dominant thing because Google allowed it to continue to exist they didn't squash it they didn't have to like go through some massive hierarchy to get it approved sorry about that um, didn't have to go through some massive hierarchy to get it approved it just lived and slowly dominated the world of email for everybody right The Air Force. Yeah, which of you, which of you losers has a Yahoo account, right? <laughs> Dude, if you have a Yahoo account, delete it now. Take that from, <laughs> take that from Muff. All right. Um, Yahoo is terrible. But that's not, that's not really a culture, and it's not really a, uh, an organizational structure that the Air Force can emulate. Because as you alluded, you know, mentioned earlier, like we are necessarily hierarchical. It has to be that way. 
because I need to be in a position to be able to command you to go take that hill, knowing that 10% of the people I send up that hill are going to die. And the and the stakes of failure are a lot higher too. Than, yeah. than, than these companies. Like they lose money, right? And they potentially lose a lot of money. Good potentially. But that's different than like losing lives or losing the country, losing mm-hmm. the war losing the battle, losing the war, right? Right. Um so one's ability to assess success when taking these risks, right? This is it's different, right? So is this potentially why Spark Spark Tank seems to foster the least risky ideas. Sure. Like when you get to the Air Force level Spark Tank, world's most non-innovative name of a an event ever. Yeah. Um, when you get to that level, it's knickknacks and silly stuff and small things that like get there you know what i mean because they're they're non-threatening they're non-risky and then they just you know sail through all the other levels of the bureaucracy to get to the top and they or let us anything that has any risk or threat is not going to survive yeah i don't know what things maybe didn't make it that were risky. i would love to know that but the um or is there just a dearth of anything and like the knickknacks is just the coolest shit that they have, right? I don't know, right? <laughs> like it could be one or the other. Um, <laughs> there are no good ideas and so the ones that made it are <laughs> yeah, the ones that, the as, ones cool, that exist. as cool as they get. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I think it allows them to feel like they're participating in this grand coalition. Mm-hmm of of things that have created break breakthrough changes that have all confluence to create western civilization's eminence and power right yeah they're participating in the long train or they, or they of believe innovation. they are right right or it lets them feel like they are right and that they're doing their they're doing their diligence to participate in that you know as leaders um but the real issue is that to, to create these these breakthroughs that matter and breakthroughs that matter to the Air Force, at least on the technological side, we call offsets. We've talked about them before earlier about what they are, right? There's these categorical differences that give you just like an, an absolute advantage over your opponents that don't have them. Right, so the first one is the nuke. The second one is the GPS, guided weapons. I'm glad you mentioned that again. Both Air Force things. Yeah. I'm curious if the well, Army... German, really, for the nuke, but... Eh, sure, sure, like, like whatever, but... Warner von Braun. Nukes, delivered yeah. primarily by the Air Force. GPS controlled and mastered by the air force now space command or whatever else but i'm curious to know there have been offsets before yeah i mean like prior to aviation yeah, right a, a gun machine gun yeah the machine right well, the, machine the longbow yeah. um do we call those offset zero and offset uh the the, the negative first offset well like as, f- as far as off- uh, 
the term is concerned at yeah. the squadron officer school they're teaching like as far as like modern military history yeah offset one the nuke correct offset two gps guided weapons searching desperately for offset three whatever that's going to be yeah and there was and a lot of articles and time spent on that squadron officer school that that hallowed institution was stealth an offset they i mean stealth was certainly innovative right that yeah. completely changed I think it's wrapped up with GPS because it's the same similar era, right? Like post-Vietnam, Gulf yeah. War, right? With the F-117, right? Yeah. I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. But, they, they was, but the idea I remember of, it was GPS is what they were really citing. But, but this but this idea of offsets is like the fact that we're like, we're looking for the third offset. There have been offsets all the way back to fucking gunpowder with the Qin Dynasty. You know what yeah. I mean? And so there's like... This laundry list. We just decided to say, okay, we're going to start counting now. Yeah. But, but silliness. That, but that's a great point that, that helps me build into this next point, which is if they've been, you know, infinite offsets prior, yeah, probably, and then yeah. there were these two, <laughs> like, what did they really do for us, man? Like, so I, I think the, as far as like these, t- the, the concept of offsets and creating these big technological breakthroughs are concerned, like innovation's overrated. Like this, this kind, of, like this is supposedly the the biggest innovation, the most impactful innovation as far as the military is concerned that we could possibly have is an offset. What happens after we have the nuke? Right? How long did it take for for Russia to have nukes? It was pr- less than a decade. <laughs> it was way less than a decade. Yeah. Right? Um, and then, how long did it take you know for GPS weapons to be, you know? in russia and china or wherever the hell else yeah the the concept of gps and the russian glonaz system like these are just ideas right and they move at the speed of information so as that continues to progress and gets faster and faster and faster and faster that delta from when we have it to when they have it is only going to get smaller 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 and smaller yeah so it seems to me that all that really matters is is you have to you just have to be in the game right you have to be close enough to be able to process and understand what the other guy has right if he has some big breakthrough and then you just steal it and you catch right back up right um and we're in this prisoner's dilemma where each each side is looking for that but the other side catches up almost immediately unless in that very small window where you have it and they don't, you go total war on them. Yeah, that's the moment that you destroy yeah. Moscow. Yeah, like, that, that you the just, moment that you have the nuke and they do not, you you wreck their world. Yeah, and that's what happened with Japan, right? As yeah. soon as we got it, we fucked them up. Yeah, but if you wait, if you don't have the balls to like go do that right away, who the fuck cares, right? Because yeah. they're, they're going to have it almost assuredly. There's too many holes with 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 human beings wanting to, you know sell that information or them just grabbing it, especially with the technology that, that exists. Yeah, to, nobody, to grab nobody can see, keep a secret, man. Yeah, so... Human, There's Americans willing to sell out America for 50 grand. Yeah, between humans <laughs> and technology and just, like, the chaos of keeping track of all this stuff. Yeah. No matter yeah. how... Like, it's going to get out, right? And it has over and over and over again. Yep. Right? When a... How long did it take us to get jets after the Germans were flying jets? Not very fucking long. Yeah, all right? we had to do was capture one and be like, "Oh, oh, well, that makes sense." Yeah. So you you only have to be in you only have to be in the game, right? Yeah. Um, 
Arthur C. Clarke, right? The famous thing in science fiction is any any uh, any technology sufficiently advanced appears to be magic. Yeah. You just have to not be at the point where it's magic to you. As long as you can see that it's technology. Yeah. And be like, okay, I know what this is. I can I can build on this. I can I can make this too, right? I I didn't come up with it, but like I I can understand it. Right. Who cares, right? So the the fighting for innovation in the military. I think is a little bit of an overrated concept. Another example um, is is the movie Moneyball, right? So Billy Bean, right, just goes all in on sabermetrics, okay, um, with the Oakland A's because he's frustrated. He Billy gets, Bean is the uh, the general manager, okay, of the Oakland A's, played by Brad Pitt, played by Brad Pitt, okay, beautiful man. All right, the um, can't recognize faces, but yeah, he goes beautiful all man himself. Yeah, he goes all in on sabermetrics. Yeah which is looking at like very statistical analysis of like how many runs do we need to make to the playoffs right and and like on average and like looking at no other stats right like not look not traditionally analyzing the players in terms of like their swagger like what there's what the ball sounds like when it pops off the bat and things like that right i don't care does he get on base right is the famous line yeah. He, we're we're drafting him because he gets on base. What is his on base percentage? Yeah, and... I do not give a fuck how ugly his girlfriend is, yeah. right? Or all this other shit that the scouts are talking about, right? Yeah, um, trying to, trying to pick I, the next superstar. I don't fucking want Derek Jeter. Yeah, right? trying to get the next superstar, right? He's like, we don't have enough money to play that. We are just going to do this, right? And it starts out horribly because not everybody's bought into the system. Yeah, but he has he breaks a twenty game win streak, which was an all time ALS record at the time. 20 game win streak so 20 in a row okay okay so the a's the a's go 20 games in a row yeah which was at the time all-time record for the als yeah yeah, yeah. um they didn't so he didn't break it he established a 21 20 game win streak and broke a record yeah okay gotcha um and they went to the playoffs did really well they didn't actually win the championship right yeah um the boston red sox manager like dials them up right and goes, hey, we're gonna do your system, but like with a ton more money now. Yeah. And and like so, we're gonna incorporate what you were doing on a budget because you felt like you had to on a budget, but we're gonna just do that same thing with like way more money on top of that. Yeah. And he turned it down because he uh, had his own personal reasons. He wanted to be the underdog. Like Who did to, Billy Bean. Yeah, yeah. Billy Bean turned down because he he has. Were some, they trying to hire Billy Bean? Yeah, yeah. They okay. Trying, they gotcha. o- they offered him more money than any GM at the time had ever been offered. Yeah. Um, and he turned it down. But like the next year, dumbass. The next year, Boston started incorporating his system and his ideas. Yeah, they won the World Series two and years then later. Magically, they they finally broke the curse. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, uh, and Billy Billy Beans is still with was still with the A's. Is still still searching for that win. Right, uh, still searching for that championship. Sucker. Right. So he took all the risk. He did all the stuff. Right. Yeah. And he well, changed baseball. He definitely innovated. Right. Yeah. But what was it worth to the A's? At the end of the day, yeah, right, fuck rel- all. Because you want to know something funny? Apparently, they're actually talking about moving the A's down to Vegas as well, along with the Raiders. <laughs> this makes me sad. <laughs> These are my teams, man. This is where I'm from. Yeah, the the new Vegas stadium. I used to go down. I used to go down to the Raiders stadium, but fuck that, I guess. But anyway, the, you'll still um, be a Raiders fan. Yeah. It's not the same. Um, I'm still undecided about that. All right. The, uh, but like, the, the, my point is like, what did it matter to the A's? Like you said, fuck all. Yeah. 
the Boston Red Sox just were like, okay, you innovated this. You did all this work. You bore all the work in the press, all the scrutiny in the press, and like the doubters, and yeah, almost got fired, right, and all this other shit, right, and when no one believed you, and oh, this works, yoink! Oh, thanks, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet. <laughs> and and so innovation, these offsets, they're we we kind of have to do them, right? Because if we don't want them to get a window on us and then go ham on us in that very short window. Yeah. But everyone can kind of relax a little in some sense because as long as we, it's not completely magic to us where like crazy shit's falling out of the sky and we're yeah. just like, we have sticks and we're like, I don't know. Right. Right. I don't know any how any of this works. I don't have any of the industrial understanding of how to build guns or how to build any of this. Right, you're the you're just beating the, up beating up on the natives as the British Empire, right? Right. Um, and the latest, we'll just we'll catch up almost instantly. Yeah, and right. the, the latest push in weaponry right now is hypersonic weapons. Yeah, just go faster. It's like okay, well then they're just going to make a faster interceptor missile. Like, and then they'll have the hypersonic weapons right, too. It's right. Like, <laughs> so, like the value of all this, and is we're all like racing thing. to be the first ones to get it. Yeah, but and I, <laughs> and but but, in, if, but do we have the political will to 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 leverage that? No. So what are we fucking talking about? You know, like yeah. at the end of the day, like yeah. really, um, like I think hypersonic we, weapons aren't going to keep China from invading Taiwan. We still need to do it, but like we need to like take a deep breath and understand like what are we actually doing? Yeah, we're just advancing like the destructive capability of all of this stuff, right? To like to to even higher absurd, even more absurd degrees. Yeah. And somewhere we decided that Mach five was the line for hypersonic, not just supersonic, hypersonic. This shit all just exists in a in a spectrum. It's a different, slightly darker shade of gray. Yeah. <laughs> But we categorize everything. Yeah, it's so like pushing for all of this stuff in the military context and in the, in the specific way that it gets applied in the military is particularly limited in value. And I don't think people understand that because they they look at like how civilian innovations have changed everything, right? And how this whole freight of stuff has changed the world. And they think, well... And how the nuke changed things, right? Yeah. And they think it's just going to happen again. Well, it doesn't quite work like that, right? Which is my thesis for the night, right? Is that we misunderstand this. It's good and we kind of have to do it, but we misunderstand it. And we, we overvalue it. It's it's valuable, but we overvalue it and we misunderstand it. Yeah, we, we certainly place it above just good order and discipline and maintaining like a a smoothly functioning organization with policies and you know controls that minimize everybody else's thrash and like and and that, we, we just want we just want to innovate solutions to yeah. everything and that's my fear is that innovation or you know and creating these things and looking at and and there, there's a solution to our problems right that we can just there we have a set of problems. We have a geopolitical solution, uh, situation and problem. There will be some sort of breakthrough that will allow us to just climb over that mountain and glide over that problem. Yeah. Right. And, and 
That's not always the case. And I think that innovation, the way that we just described, is, is not the way that we're going to do that. Um, because like we talked about, it's a, it's a, it's an equalization trap that happens almost immediately. Yeah. Um, and I think we start to think of it as a silver bullet, like looking at the grandeur of our, of our past and our impact yeah. that we think that we, there will be another thing that will just allow us to continue to, that will just solve our problems for us. The, yeah. And keep us on top. Yeah. The, the movie interstellar famously for me anyway if you're if you're friends with me you know about this um so it starts out with like we fucked the planet up with a whole bunch of shit right that we did wrong and there's this whole fungus or parasite i don't remember what the fuck it is right that's in the air the, the planet is fucked yeah and i thought it was just a climate change thing but no nah, it was like a fungus or something nah. right? like the big clouds come anyway what fuck it but the, we fucked the planet up and they set it up where Cooper, who's played by uh, Matthew McConaughey, yeah, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> They're like, we're gonna put, we're gonna put Matthew McConaughey or Cooper is his character in the movie. We're yeah. gonna put him on this thing. We're gonna go, we're gonna go interstellar. We're gonna find a new planet, right? And the movie sets it up like it's gonna be this, like, hey, we can't just like innovate our way out of this. Like, you fucked your planet. You're, yeah, you're fucking dumb. There's no way to just like, you know, Pontius Pilate, wash your hands and be the fuck out of this problem, right? Yeah. There's there you can't you can't just do that, right? It's not that simple. Um, and famously, I I because I thought that was such an entertaining premise, and the whole movie was pointing in that direction. Yeah. And at the end, the director just decided, like, I don't know for whatever reason, like, fuck that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey gets all the things. Is that a Christopher Nolan movie? Yeah, yeah, it's a Chris Nolan movie. Yeah. Uh, Matthew McConaughey gets to live. He gets to reconnect with his daughter, and he gets to keep exploring. He gets to go there. I go exploring again at the end, right? <laughs> and they just find the planet. They just find the fucking planet, and then they're like, they ship the, everybody off, and this is the fucking end of the movie, right? Yeah. He's like looking up at the stars, getting ready to go on another adventure, right? So if we just push harder and faster in this direction towards innovation and change, and just go adventuring and changing things then we can get out of the problems that the change and adventurism created in the first place in our planet yeah without like this great cost or this yeah that like all we needed to do was just push harder yeah right so we pushed we caused all these problems we just got to go even more aggressively in that direction yeah and then all of our problems will be solved and that's what that movie is saying at the end and i thought that was really disingenuous and terrible terrible ending dude that's um, the that's everybody's premise around climate change and everything's heating up they're just like oh in the future we'll be able to just you know suck all this carbon dioxide out of the out of the atmosphere with yeah big we'll filters see. we'll see like we'll, we'll we'll innovate that solution it's like mm, maybe yeah but to get away from environment specifically like that was just an example yeah, that's a that's a sensitive one yeah but that was just an example yeah but like I, th- I feel like we're all Cooper and Christopher Nolan. There's a lot of people who just think like there's just, there's, if we just go harder, then we'll be able to solve our, all of our problems. Right. What I'm afraid of is that reality is not, is not the interstellar movie directed by Christopher Nolan. Right? I think reality <laughs> is a little more complicated and constrained than that. Right. And that 
we tend to ignore like the lessons of history and political philosophy uh, and the ways that civilizations have stumbled and crumbled yeah by overextending or making mistakes or how they organize themselves with their allies or how they organize themselves or how they they create stable institutions or any of that yeah. stuff right and we're not taking lessons from Greece, from Athens, from the Roman Republic, the Roman Empire, right? And we're not really reading that and paying as much attention to that as we should. There are... Because we just think, eh, there's an innovation for that, right? There's there, an app for that. There's an innovation for, for all of our problems. We can just find offset three and we'll be done, right? And I think that's an incredibly, incredibly myopic and dangerous way of thinking. So this is... It's not that I have an issue with innovation. I don't like that the complacency civilizationally that innovation lets us like turn our brains off. The concept of innovation lets yeah. us turn our brains off and stop thinking about history and the ways that civilizations interact and the way that human beings are on in on grand scales and grand strategy and in the way that empires well, grow and decline. Yeah, go ahead. America began as this innovation right kind of like on a cultural thing where we set ourselves yeah. apart and said that okay there's no such thing as a king everybody has equivalent rights so we started there like okay great and then slowly as things progress things get a bit more technological and then at some point so i would presume this is post-world war ii and probably with the nuke you know the second offset first offset first yeah whatever 14th if you ask the chinese um yeah you know fair enough <laughs> no no that was a great that was a great point yeah no for sure um so the this is such an arbitrary distinction like where we start the first offset but it, it with that we established ourselves as like kings of the world yeah we were the, absolutely we were the absolutely only, by that point right so we dropped the first nuke boom our balls are as big as they could possibly get yeah we're like and, randy marsh in, and, uh, <laughs> in that one episode of south park like a hot great episode hip, hippity hopping great episode <laughs> hopping um, on our nuked balls and so <laughs> we, we we at that point we begin you know believing that we can glide over everything and then like we can continue to dominate the world out of our technology that is also so luckily for us, Russia got the nuke relatively quickly, and we still had to maintain like a functional working knowledge of international relationships and the the, the way that human beings actually interact and the way you know states interact with each other. Okay. As and that continued until. What eighty nine, with the fall of the uh, yeah the the Berlin Wall, right, and the collapse of the Soviet Union. Oh, so we're getting to the we're getting to the uh, complacency and optimism of the nineties. Yeah, correct. So we so we had a peer during you know the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties that kept us kept our minds sharp. Yeah. And as soon as we no longer had a peer, and we were the the sole superpower, we. It allowed us to start thinking. All right, we'll we'll just invade that country. We're writing. We have a. Oh wait! Whoa! 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 Iraq invaded Kuwait. Okay. Yeah. 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 No worries. We'll ju we'll just invade. We'll invade the other way. We have uh, political scientists who were unfortunately taken rather seriously, 
writing things like the the democratic peace like francis fukuyama yeah right like that everybody's going to become a democracy and like history will end and like uh, all Thomas war, Friedman and war the whole world is flat and war will stuff. be war will be no more and like they're fucking john lennon right right like War is over if you want. Anyway, so with, with with the fall of the Berlin Wall, we start we stopped where we lost the pressure to maintain like our skill set with you know understanding how nation states interact at the anarchy level, right? Because states states international states exist yeah. in a state of anarchy. There yeah. is no the the UN is not a more or less. A parental organization. Any state can do whatever it is that they want inside this organization so long as that another state is not willing to step in and stop them. Yeah, more it, or less. Yeah, it's a state of anarchy. But we no longer had to have the same level of precision and care applied to any of our international uh, adventures. And consequently, with the great you know success of 1991, <laughs> we we quickly turn Dude. into all of these other conflicts, just thinking like, ah, well, we're America. This is going to be cool. You know what I mean? We got this. We're going to go in in 2003. We're going to invade Afghanistan, the great you know, well, and like like Xerxes, graveyard of uh, like like Xerxes empires. And- like Xerxes in 300, like getting a little drop of blood spilled, right? Yeah. And just like the shock of that. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, we took, you know, a country reached out and killed, you know, X number of people, right? And, yeah. Uh, on September 11th, right? Right. What? And it was more about the, the reaction and the shock to that than like yep. really what that, and the, the scale of in civilization. the grand scheme of things. Yes, exactly. It was small. Yeah, relatively small. Maybe the best move at the time would have been just. But a grand hit to our ego, yeah, and our, and our conception of our gliding overall. Yeah, and our in, invincibility in the the national stage, right? So we, I think we're starting to recognize that we are not as amazing and powerful as we thought we were following the you know successful. Uh, Invasion of Kuwait. I mean, we didn't really, we didn't invade Kuwait. We kicked, you know, the, the the defense of Kuwait, right? But only begrudgingly. Hence, near peer. Yeah. So, the <laughs> so following that great success, we have just like you know five degrees nose low. Since then, in our in our ability to to see this thing, because our politicians aren't pushed to understand that we don't. And so we've we've developed this like, uh, what it what is it when you have a uh, a disease that's totally internal, like you're too clean, mm. and yeah. so that your 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 white blood cells yeah, start attacking you, and you get eczema, and you get. Yeah, I don't know the term for that. God damn, I used to know this. I I should know this term. Um, So we've developed this internal disease where we we don't have any enemies outside, and so we constantly just like take that energy. We've developed this this her- incredible state of with immense power and like we think we're this amazing thing, and we have all of this ability to reach out and control our destiny across the the world. And America is the the great indispensable nation. 
but we don't have any real enemies. We've got a bunch of pikers. And so a lot of that energy gets turned internal. And as a result, we just start fighting and bickering about internal things. And consequently, we're seeing a degradation of all of our institutions. Yeah. Which is not very innovative. Um, but but it's the result of all of this innovation. Yeah. And, and we've had this a lot of to defeat all of our enemies. And now we've reached this point where we have nobody left to really fight. Yeah, and I think in that, like, that post-Cold War era, right, there was really when that idea that, like, innovation can just solve all of our problems for us, right, and keep us where we want to be. Yeah. Right, specifically, like, a technological innovation, right? Yeah, and feeling confident. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case, right? Like, there's there's other countries. There's another there's another Russia. <coughs> China, right? Like, like just around the corner, right? Like we're like we're like giving them resources and propping them up, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll democratize. Yeah, fuck these guys. We're we're, we're coming for you in a hundred years, bitch. Right? Yeah. Like, right? And that's what. And we're just like, yeah, yeah, you know. Like, and we're just not paying attention or thinking about any of this stuff. We're not. We're not looking at the Romans. We're not looking at the Spartans. We're not looking at the Athenians. Right? Yeah. And all the mistakes that they made with their overreaches and their. You know things that they happen right, or we're not taking it as seriously. We're not steeped in it. And well, we're there, not applying there, there are it. undoubtedly people that are right. Yeah, but, but I'm saying like our leaders, advisory roles yeah. only, right? Well, even if that, right? If they're not yeah. just cloistered out in some academic monastery somewhere, yeah, right? um, writing another paper that nobody's going to read. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like we're not we're not educating our politicians in that stuff, right? And there's I think there's just a general. Because our politicians don't haven't needed to know anything about that, because it's all been local politics and internal politics. It's, yeah, it's I, the primary driver since the '90s. Yeah, so I think, like, like I, maybe to wrap all this up, that innovation is good, but like we misunderstand it when we try to demand it in a vacuum. We're not really getting at what we want to be getting at, right? We're 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 doing a bunch of fucking sideshow shit yeah that no one that doesn't really matter even though like we have the best intentions to get at stuff that matters um and then on the back end our our knowledge of our history of innovation creates complacency and and makes us less aware of like it's 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 limitations the limitations of 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 technology on the geopolitical stage and and le- makes us less attuned to the travails and solutions that historical civilizations have 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 gone through right and we can look at britain as well right or any of these other grand country you know grand empires um even ancient china right <laughs> like yeah. um like what what happened to them right? i mean there there is a continuous line of history right from China, you know, six thousand years ago to where we are now. There's a, there's a continuous storyline. There's a through line through all of that. But they were the most powerful country in the world at one point. Right? Absolutely. Um, and same thing with Britain. Same thing with Greece. Same, you know, the Athenians. Same thing with the Romans. Yeah. Um, but all that changes, right? And then there's, I just get worried that the concept of, like, the over being infatuated with the idea of like a technological solution and overvaluing what that can do for us 
makes us less attuned to the lessons that we can glean from them yeah. to chart that in a more to try to chart a path more reasonably yeah alright man uh, we've been at this for what an hour and 20 at this point hounds yeah <laughs> hour and 23 how about that um <laughs> the I don't care I'm gonna say it if we say if you say 20 <laughs> It's um, happening. I'm a hounds bros. Yeah, well, for a while until, you know, somebody's around the 29th and not to... I'll say it, too. boom. Boom. No, I say boom, too. Yeah, 28 plus Dude, one pack. You should see my briefing boards. Yeah. It's like, briefing time is like 11.30 plus boom. Yeah. On <laughs> all this stuff. It's super annoying. <laughs> oh, man. That's, but that's the fun bit that uh, I think students like. Yeah. So cool, man. We'll, uh, we'll call it here. I think we finally got this one uh, in the bag. I agree. See ya.